Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're joined once again by well-known Satanist Joanna Fortune. Joanna. <laughs> Don't uh, ask me any questions uh, about that. <laughs> uh, good afternoon, Jim. Now, it's time for parenting, just in case anyone got a terrible fright there. Uh, first question is this. My daughter is nine years of age. She's very mild cerebral palsy and hearing loss. She attends mainstream school. I would like some advice, please, because I'm really worried that she's no friends in school. This year and last year, she has invited the whole class to her birthday party, but is now received any invites back to any of the other kids parties she's never once since starting school been invited to a play date I've tried to read oh god this is Mm. heartbreaking I've tried to reach out to other parents to invite children to our house but I generally get a non-committed response I have met with the school uh, this year and last year to discuss the issue and while they agree that she doesn't have friends they say this is not something that can be forced I'm so upset about my little girl and feel powerless as a parent because this is something I just can't fix is she being ostracised because she has a disability she, she is involved in some extracurricular activities but that doesn't seem to generate any friendships either Oh my God, oh that's just God. heartbreaking. Yeah. And, you know, the, the knee-jerk response as you're reading that is, you know, come on, parents, do better. Do better when yeah. you're reading that. And at the same time, we have to be curious about what's going on. You know, the bit at the end is that, you know, is it her disability? You know, she doesn't make friends in activities either. Lots of kids have nice kind of transient connections yeah, in extracurricular yeah. activities, but they might not necessarily have friendship from them because they're only seeing each other infrequently, you know, maybe mm. once a week or for an hour. And it depends on the activity. It could be quite structured for the time they're there rather than that free time when kids do make connections. So I wouldn't, you know, be overly concerned about the extracurricular, but I'm really glad that your daughter has those activities because it does put her in contact with children outside of her typical school peer group and gives her more opportunity to meet other kids and have new experiences. Now, the school saying, you know, yes, we agree with Mm, what you're saying, but we cannot force it. I mean, yes and no, you cannot force friendship, but it can be facilitated, encouraged and supported. You know, it's it's also not true to say, well, look, nothing we can do. We see your daughter is totally isolated and has no friends, but nothing we can do. Mm. I don't fully buy that, Sean, either. I think there are things that we can do. I think we need to promote inclusivity as more than just a soundbite on social media. I think there needs to be something about, you know, it's a wall well and good to share a, if you can be anything, be kind meme, but actually put that into practice. Yes. How do you live that? You know, so I think there's shared responsibility here between the school and all parents. You know, children have to be educated about difference. So that happens in the classroom, but it also happens at home. It has to happen yeah, at home. Yeah, yeah. It's not all on the teachers either. They have to be educated not only about difference, but also about disability. Now, the basics are fine. I'm not saying, you know, you you sit them down and do a huge, big um, educational science lecture or anything. But once they have the basics, they don't need every minute detail, but they do need to know that everyone is different and to learn patience, tolerance and inclusion in a meaningful way. And children Mm. learn practically. So, you know, setting them small group activities and projects and, you know, assigning groups and really promoting that make sure none of our friends are alone at lunchtime or break time, making sure everyone has someone to play with. And as parents, I think we should always be watching for the kids in class who are never mentioned. You know, when our kids are chatting, always watch for the names. You'll see certain names, especially by nine, are going to come up frequently and they're your child's friends. But 
be curious about the names that are never mentioned and be interested in that curiosity. Oh, I, you never mentioned so-and-so. Who mm. do they play with? What do they like to do? Do you ever have an opportunity to play with that person? And your child will then say, oh gosh, I don't think about that kid or maybe I could. And it's a way of just being really mindful of that and pr- really promote not leaving anyone out. Yes. You know, yeah. I know a lot of schools have those buddy benches and if somebody is feeling like they have no one to play with and would like someone to play with, they can sit there. But at nine, you're becoming much more socially conscious of you might not want to put yourself mm. on that bench, Do you know, especially if you're on the bench every day. Yeah. You might not want that. And I understand that as well. But I really do think it's it's that combination. Now, look, there are Osborne do some lovely books. They always do about these issues and they deal with issues in a very factual but accessible way. So I think they're a good resource on this. They have a book um, all about diversity, which is very good. And uh, Molly Potter, who I've mentioned here before, before because she has a lovely book about feelings and one about death. But she also has one in this area called The Same But Different, which, again, she would be known for dealing with an issue head mm. on directly but in very accessible, child-friendly language. Might be a little young for this age group, but then maybe their grasp on this issue of inclusivity is a bit underdeveloped as well. So I don't want to presume those books are too young. And those books can be sourced on GeniusJuniors.ie from an Irish site giving back to children's hospitals, which I think would be very fitting just to mention that's a good place to get Mm. those books if you're talking Mm. about inclusivity and diversity um, and inclusion. But I, I just think, Sean, that there's a collective piece I really feel for this parent because there's something in, you know, I feel powerless. I just can't fix this. Yeah, that would. And yeah. of course, you can't fix no. it. And that is the definition of feeling powerless in this. But I also think, you know, just from an empathic point of view, I can really feel for the struggle here. Your child is nine. That's about second class ish. Yeah, and she's you aware know, of it now as well. That's exactly yeah. it. She's going to be aware of it and she'll probably then become aware that you're worried about it too. So it might be worth proactively setting an appointment now before the end of year with the school to make a proactive plan for next year. What are we going to do? Yes. Collectively to address this. And if there is a parent in the group who you have more than a hi, how are you connection with at the gate who you could say, look, this is an issue. It's something we really want to work on. Can we proactively arrange for some play if there's even one parent who would do that and to facilitate having kids play together? And if not, I just I it's very hard to kind yeah. of say that's really all you can do here. But supporting your daughter in finding her interests and kids who she likes to be with the in the activities, I think, in particular, a useful way of doing that because she's mm. with kids who have shared interest with her. Yeah. And being interested in, oh, who's there? Who's that? Would you like me to talk to their parent? Maybe arrange something. I think that's it. But let's stop leaving kids out of birthday parties. Let's stop leaving kids on the fringes. I think collectively we could do better than this this, for this kid. Somebody says, as a child, I had the same problem and my parents discovered a significant hearing deficit. It does isolate. Absolutely, it does. I wonder, is it that? Yeah, the hearing. And she does have hearing loss and that is very hard. There's no question. But I also think because parent knows that, child knows that, teacher knows that, other parents know that. Yeah. There's still something better that can be done around this. Yeah. My 11 year (laughs) onto a completely different subject. Mm. Uh, My 11 year old son has had his arm hair for the last year. He's avoided swimming with friends and his swimming lessons because of this. He took it upon himself to shave his armpits. And when I copped it, he said it's because he doesn't want to be the only one with hair. He has expressed in the past that he wants to remain a child and doesn't want to enter puberty yet. 
My question is, should I let him shave until he feels more comfortable with his underarm hair? He suggested a swim top for the water, but I'm wondering if I'm encouraging a sense of embarrassment with his body when he's already prone to being self-conscious. Oh, I mean, he's hit Mm. puberty early and, you know, but the others will be catching up gradually any time from now. And it's worth saying that, you know, a part of me, Sean, when you're reading this is like, I don't want him shaving his armpits with a blade, with a razor, unsupervised, you know. So the fact that you you've worked this out, that he's doing it, ask him not to take a razor to any part of his body without a grown up there to support him or to look at other options. He has also come to you with another option. He's not going to swimming and he has said if he has a swim top, he could go. My instinct, I'd give him the top. I would give Mm. him the swim top he wants and needs to feel comfortable while naming, of course, that your body's growing up. And yes, body changes can be embarrassing because bodies are embarrassing, especially at this age and for the next few years. It is all normal. And you don't say that to minimize or dismiss it. So therefore, don't worry about it. But it's just saying, yeah, I understand you're embarrassed. And when bodies are changing, that's embarrassing. And you've had a great idea about the swim top. So if that's going to help you go to swimming, sure. Let's get you a swim top. But just so you know, everything that's happening is normal. It might be happening a little quicker to you than your friends. But from now on, your friends are all also going to start having body changes. And again, I'm back to Osborne. Um, I swear I'm not sponsored by Osborne. It's just, again, the reliable resource. They have some nice books, uh, What's Happening to Me and Growing Up for Boys which could be really helpful here. And Mm. I'm sure, look, you probably you've had that talk with him and contextualized it. But sometimes kids benefit from having a resource that they can dip in and out of themselves without having to come to you with every I'm having an embarrassing moment. I'm having an embarrassing moment. So I think, again, that could be a good support. But really, that's what the response here is, is to hold a space for just supporting him through this. Don't minimize it. Don't dismiss his embarrassment or worry and commend him for the creative solution around the top my motivation would be get him back swimming don't let don't let that drop yeah and i mean even the way they phrase it he doesn't want to be the only one with hair so inevitably he won't be so exactly and you see he is 11 now but this has been for a year so at 10 he would definitely have been in the minority you know and it's so difficult for kids they're so aware of you know you just want to blend in and fit in and be like everyone else. So when something really distinguishes you as other than mm. and swimming, of course, is one of those. You can't hide a you change can't like hide that. It. No. Unless, no. of course, he's come up with this idea of the swim T-shirt. So I would go with the T-shirt, keep doing yeah. what you're doing around supporting him and the reassurance that everybody else will be going through this, too. Yeah. My daughter is sitting or leaving certain two weeks. God, is it only two weeks? It is. Yeah. And I'm seriously concerned about her lack of work ethic. She's always said she wants to do nursing. But based on her current study habits, I'm not sure she's going to get the points. She's a very bright girl, but uh, the results from her marks came as a shock to us because they were so poor and completely out of character. Up until that point, I had not paid much attention to how much schoolwork she was doing. Now I fear that I have left it too late to push her to do more. I've been uh, taking her phone in an attempt to force her to study, but it seems like she'd rather stare at the wall than open a book. It's become a nightmare to get her out of bed and over to her desk, and I'm wondering if it's even worth it anymore. She doesn't seem to care about her results, but as a mother, I still want her to see her do well. Oh, there's a few things in here. There's okay. a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, first of all, the last line I want to pick up on, she doesn't seem to care about her results. Well, we don't know that. OK, mm. an inability to motivate herself to study does not mean she doesn't care. 
it can mean she cares so much she's got herself paralysed and unable to move forward. So don't draw that conclusion because that's also going to put you into a scold mode, which you kind of are because there's a lot of battle language in this letter. Mm. You know, you're talking about pushing her, forcing her, you know, that Mm. she doesn't care. You're left it too late. You're giving up. It's all this kind of language that isn't helpful. I really think you have to and this is, I mean, I, you're definitely not the only parent in the country at this stage with two weeks to go. But you have to think about it from her perspective. Don't ensure she doesn't feel alone with the pressure. And it is pressure because you're a Leaving Cert family rather than she's a Leaving Cert student all on her own. OK. OK. Yeah. And I think that can help this feeling collaborative. And I don't mean that you assume it's your Leaving Cert and you do it like you were retrospectively doing yours again. But it helps to hold that position of what do I wish I'd had a support when I was going through experiences like this. How might she need me to support her rather than criticize her? Because, Sean, there's something when when this letter says, you know, her mock results came as a shock. They were so poor and completely out of character. I'm like, oh, I wonder how she felt. I wonder what it was like for her to fail or not do well. And that may well have under-motivated her or just stopped her in her tracks where she's like, but there's no point. Look at these results and she's almost given up on herself. There are two weeks to go. So instead of saying only two weeks, let's focus on what can be done in two weeks. Quite a lot can be done in two weeks. I'm wondering if it would be helpful if she hasn't done it already and if this is somebody who, you know, is approachable, she could speak with her year head and just talk through, look, I really bombed in the mocks. I'm feeling terrified of the exams. I'm not motivated and I just don't know what to do about it. If somebody outside of home, a teacher who knows her could actually sit with her and say, "Okay, look, the mocks were marked in this way. They're just a a benchmark for where you're at in time. This is a different set of exams. So don't use it as mocks part two, but Mm. as a new experience, a new set of exams, because the taking her phone to force her to study, it sounds like study is a punishment. Yes. For not doing well in my mocks. Yeah. And again, that isn't motivating, you know, and I've mentioned motivation here before, like we can be motivated by fear of failure. We can be motivated by the promise of reward, but we're also motivated by connection and particularly connection with those who we love and love us back. So really bring the focus back to how do what do you need from me at this point? Um, How can I best help you? You know, what what do you want to do and how can I get you there so that you sit with her and talk with her? That means asking a question and then not talking, even if it takes her a while to go, I don't know, I'm not sure. I uh, Let all of that happen so that she can answer and say, look, I'm going to study. If you say, look, we can set up a little quiet space. I'll put a timer on after an hour. Whatever you've done, we're going to get up and go for a walk and then you can come back and do another bit and structure it with and for her rather than saying, get into that room and do six hour study. I don't want to see you till six o'clock this evening because you're right. She's listening to music. She's staring at the wall. She's looking out the window. It's about quality, not quantity. So bursts of supported study are going to be much more effective. But I think you need to give her a big hug, a big cuddle, like say to her, look, the mocks didn't go well. I think you got a shock. Let's look at going forward now. What can we do to help? Make sure she's got lots of movement breaks and opportunities for fun. This is a serious enough time with a lot of pressure and actually some way of alleviating that pressure. Even though it sounds counterintuitive, Siobhan, I don't want her to take the foot off the gas here. I need her to go forward. Actually taking time for a bit of space and fun can actually move her forward. Yeah, it might be too late, though. 
Do you know what? It might be, but also hold in mind the exams are a measure of a body of work, not just the last couple of weeks or the last two, three months. You know, she has been going to school. She has covered the curriculum. She has been in class. She does have those basics there. This idea of studying ideally is not that they cram the two year syllabus into six weeks before the exams. I know there are kids out there and adults who did that and did that successfully Mm -hmm. and it might suit some people. But actually, you know, the body of work has been done over a two year period. The the study time is to refresh that. It's not it's not really intended to be a first time learning. So if she two weeks, I think she could still do a lot and studying between the exams. And then, you know what, Sean, you're right in in one way that if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out in this way. Yeah. And she might look at repeating the exams. She might look at doing a post leaving cert course that could then give her an access route in another way. You might need to get creative with other options. There are many ways to go about this. At the same token, that the, like the, the wording of that uh, e- email is so familiar that, you know, it could have been written by, you know, hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of parents, not just this year, but through time and memorial. Yeah. Do you think it's a real thing that actually coming up to the leaving certs, parents are freaking out more than kids are? Frequently. Frequently. And it's not coming from a how can I torture my student? No, it's not, no, it's coming from I want the best for you. Yes. I know what you're capable of. You're very bright if you'd only do the work. But we can't do that work for them. We no. can support, we can encourage, we can cheerlead, we can do all of the nurturing and distraction. But they have to do it. Mm. And this is important because they're also leaving the secondary school system and they're going into whatever comes next, be that third level education, training courses or the workplace. They are moving on to something else, which is a further step away from us and our control. So I think sometimes this is our last ditch attempt at let me get you there. Let me just do this for you, this last thing. But, you know, what? this is her leaving cert. You're a leaving cert family who are supporting her. But supporting her is not berating her. It's not threatening her. It's not punishing her. It has to be, let's do the best we can with this. Yeah. Uh, Someone says, doesn't everyone do crap in the mocks? I knew in my day, in the last century, it was to put the fear of God into you to cram for the real deal. Indeed. Uh, I can relate to that. I, I, it's probably different now. Uh, one week to go, currently trying to get my living cert out of bed. Oh, my God. <laughs> Now, at the same time, if it's 20 past, it's 20 to four, that would be a small uh, cause of concern, uh, yeah. I would have thought. Uh, the, the little girl who uh, is having difficulty making friends, uh, one texter says, my large local secondary school has a lunchtime club, just called club. It is essentially for teenagers who find it difficult to make friends. It's very low key and children are told about it very selectively. And sensitively, it is supervised by a very kind teacher. We find that students make friends across age groups there and very soon they have their own little group. They find each other. It works very well. Yeah, I'm aware of that as well. I think that's such a great idea. And I think especially in a big secondary school system, I think it can be just so hard if you're in a small primary school when your options are so limited. But I I do think, again, going back to that one, it's a collective response. It's school and Mm. parents. Yeah. And on the the hair issue, not quite related, but interesting. Nonetheless, my daughter is nearly six and has exceptional back hair. She's had it since she was born. Doesn't bother her at all. But I always wonder if it's normal or should I do anything about it? Thankfully, she doesn't care about it. Uh, But I'm worried she couldn't end up getting bullied later in school. 
I know, but it, we have to be aware of our own anticipation, don't mm, we? You know, yeah, that she's yeah. genuinely fine with that, not asking questions. If you were anyway concerned about it, just the next time you happen to be in with your GP about something else, maybe mention it um, and see what they think. Yeah, but don't be anticipating. Uh, try not to. Try not to. Uh, and Brendan says, going back to the leave search, she can repeat the exams. It relieves pressure, her knowing that. As long as you fill her with support and love, she'll be okay. I've been that student. Now I'm a parent, uh, says Brendan. And Brendan sent in a perfectly spelt and grammatically correct email showing that everything works out. There you out. go, it all works well, out. Well, in the end. Uh, my girlfriend and I have decided we want to start a family. We're new to all of this. We're the first in our family to embark on this. And we don't have a lot of friends in the same position. I want to be as involved as possible uh, and would like to support her as much as I can. Are there any books, podcasts or videos I could watch to help her? I don't want to be a dad that just turns up to appointments. Oh, fair play to you and congratulations. That's lovely. Um, of course, there are books and podcasts. There are so many that, <laughs> you, yeah, you know, you, you could drive yourself nuts with them. Um, I well, do. you have books and podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> like mine, for yes. example. But apart from that, there is um, a podcast because this is specifically you're preparing for parenthood mm. and I do think so much of um, you know it's it can be trying to get pregnant birthing the baby feeding the baby actually the couple can get lost in that process quite easily but there's a podcast by Bryn um, I think it's Hunt Palmer or Hurt Palmer. It's something like that anyway, but it's called The Birth Hour. You'll find it easy enough. And it's actually um, a collection of stories about it's not The Birth Hour makes it sound like, you know, it's all done an hour. Yes. (laughs) But um, it's more about, you know, the postpartum period, but also the antenatal, Mm. prenatal. The whole thing is in there through stories. And I think it's a really you'd find it interesting. There's also Dana Point's uh, Pregnancy Confidential, which would be a well-known one again, which talks about all aspects of pregnancy and and afterwards. So I think that can be really informative. From books, um, actually a colleague of mine, Ellie Taylor, um, based in Australia, has written a book, Becoming Us, where the focus is very much on that transition from couple to parents of a baby and how you're going to transition into that phase. So that can be really nice um, Mm. as well. But I think when you're thinking of, that's a bit of information for you, but thinking of um, your partner, ask her, Ask her what would help her, you know, talk with her about what would help. Listen to her and get informed. The books and the podcast can do that, but she's going to have her own unique experience of this as well. Yeah, because it definitely isn't a one size or universal experience and really pay attention to those changes over the journey of pregnancy and afterwards. Like after a baby comes, you really want to explore ways that you can practically alleviate pressures and demands you know, ensure you can cook. And if not, you have time to learn, um, learn her favorite meals, fill the freezer, make sure there's Batch snacks, yeah. water, yeah. Um, phone chargers when you're trapped under a sleeping baby and terrified to move. All of those kind of small intimacies of everyday life that mm. say, I'm holding you in mind. I'm aware of you. Those are the things that really matter. Um, so prioritize her and take on more than your fair share of the domestic load from now on. It's those gestures that will show her that you're in it with her. Yeah, there's a there's a it sounds like a circuitous route to get to my point. But there's a, a fellow like he worked in TV, Tommy. He was making a program about uh, the Air Corps and you have to do the kind of part of the safety course. And there's I think it's in Cork, but they have this like pool where you're basically thrown down 40 feet. and You have to escape out of a crashed assimilation of a crashed uh, helicopter 
and get back up to the surface. And, you, you know, you, you, you're like, you're in your, you have to undo your belt, inflate your thing and get up to the top. And he said, it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I'm actually holding my, my yeah. neck here. In but, but the thing is like, a lot of like books and podcasts yeah. are like, the functionality of it's like goods in, goods out, rather than there should be a course where you're sleep deprived for a week yeah. uh, uh, with someone who loves you, who wants to also kill you. <laughs> uh, and uh, and you have to learn to negotiate that as well. Yeah. That'd be really good training. If you could That'd do be that. amazing training. I didn't yeah. know where you were going with the yes. old pool, <laughs> yeah, the crash that, helicopter but thing. But it's the terror but bit and that. that fog bit afterwards. And you kind of have a sense you don't know what you're doing. And you, you know? can't really podcast your way to understanding that. That's yeah. very much experiential. Yeah. And I think that just knowing that you're not in it alone, you're in it together. And that's going to be about that change and evolution. The Becoming Us book really does cover all aspects of that as well, Um, as best as a book can do that. But again, your unique experience will be unique. Yeah, I think we've put them off now. I know. It's too late. It's too late. Joanna, thanks for listening. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.